worthy, so worthy because of what you've done, because of your suffering for us. Help us to remember, to proclaim your death, your suffering until you come again. This is how we can endure Because you rose for the joy that was set before you. You endured the cross. Jesus, you are our joy. So we can endure. You are the joy set before us. As we worship in the wilderness... You are our hope, our satisfaction, our fulfillment, our rest, and our joy. It's you, Jesus. Help us to endure. Help us to suffer as you suffered. And to feel your closeness, your nearness when we suffer. Now, Father, as we open your word, help us to exult in it, to worship over it. Give us, by your Holy Spirit, ears to hear, hearts to hear, and give us the power, the strength to obey your word, to not be hearers only, but to be doers of your word. Your perfect word. We thank you for your word. Now, help Pastor Rick as he proclaims it. Help him to do so boldly, without fear. And give us ears to hear. And we pray all of this in the powerful, matchless name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. amen. And amen. You can be seated as we continue. Welcome. I'm so glad you're here today. After these last few days, I've been pretty frozen. I'm not understanding, like, what's going on. But we're going to move forward here quickly. You know, nobody spoke like Jesus. 
Jesus didn't flaunt his wisdom or his role. He confidently explained truth like none other before or since. This took great courage in a religious culture that taunted human traditions as the truth of God. The first century Jews were reared in synagogues. They participated in temple worship. They learned the Old Testament law from teachers who were steeped in traditional religion. The role of an average, everyday layperson was simply to believe and obey what the official teachers taught. They had no opportunity to question their authority or doubt or challenge their views. With unquestioned authority, the Jews were fed faulty information for years. Religious leaders twisted the meaning of the Holy Scriptures, offered interpretations that were just simply wrong, and demanded applications that were frankly impossible. They added to the commandments of God and passionately required that everybody obey these additions. People were in shock when Jesus sat down and delivered this sermon. The audience was mesmerized as they heard Christ's life-giving words. Jesus was bold and clear. His teachings were both insightful and convicting. Christ's message stood in sharp contrast to the traditional religious instructions that the people had been taught throughout all of their lives. Jesus sets the record clear right here in the very beginning of his sermon. He he didn't come to throw out the law and the prophets themselves. After all, the Old Testament scriptures were the very word of God, written just by men, led by God, inspired and inerrant, true in everything they affirmed. The problem wasn't the law and the prophets. The problem was with the faulty interpretation and application of them. The religious elite felt threatened by the bold, authoritative teaching of Jesus. They wanted to brand him as a heretic because he interpreted the Bible differently. Before we jump in today, let's pray. Father, we come before you recognizing your authority in our lives. We are so grateful that we can gather and we can worship. We are so grateful, God, that you have given us your word and allowed the Holy Spirit to live in us, to teach us and to convict us and to strengthen us. God, we are a blessed people. It is so easy to complain and so easy to, well, wish things were different. But God, in your sovereignty, in your control, you've allowed all of these situations and circumstances to come about. We know, folks, we know, Lord, that there are folks who are 
who are discouraged, who are suffering, who are wondering where you're at, crying out to you, asking for healing, asking for strength. We pray, dear God, that you would become closer, that we would feel your arms and we would trust you in new, in fresh ways as the chaos in our world continues to mount. Lord, we pray for the different churches in our area. We pray for Casa de Rocion and for Northbridge and for LifeSpring. We know, God, that there are other churches that are preaching your word and teaching your word, that there are salt and light all over. We're grateful for your faithfulness to us. We pray for all those who are teaching downstairs. We pray for all those, Lord, who are serving and and encouraging us all throughout this week. We pray you would give them strength and perspective. We pray your word would go out powerfully. And we pray, Lord, that there would be changed lives. We are grateful for this coming season. We know, God, that somehow our our lives seem to get so busy and so hectic that there are certain times in our season that we can slow down. And we can say thank you for your grace and your mercy and your faithfulness. We pray during this Lent season, God, that we would be able to look once again at all you have done and that our hearts would overflow with gladness. We pray for today. We pray as your word is opened that that you would use it as a fire and as a hammer And as a sword, you would change our perspective and give us strength, not only for today, but for tomorrow. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Jesus started the sermon by describing what life would look like underneath a good, good king. He said those folks would be happiest. Those folks would be blessed. Well, those that saw themselves as poor, as dependent upon God. He said those who need and to understand that they can't do life without God. He described those who are happy those that actually see sin the way that he sees sin. And they begin to mourn over sin. And he he said, blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness and justice. Those who are merciful. Those whose hearts are pure. Those who work for peace those who suffer for obeying God. These are the kingdom people. These are the kingdom patriots. These are the folks who are living underneath my authority. And as they go out, they are salt and light. They will be different. They are impact people. And those are the folks who are listening 
to the king. It happens naturally because of their love for this king. Now we get to chapter 5, verses 17, 18, 19, and 20. You can open up your Bibles or follow along on the screen. Matthew 5, starting at 17. And this is what Jesus says. Don't misunderstand why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purposes are achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus starts off, please don't understand, I mean, please don't misunderstand why I came. I came to accomplish, to fulfill the purpose of the law, the purpose of the writings of Moses and the prophets. So what was the purpose of the law? Well, first of all, we need to understand, at least, at least at this time, what the meaning of the word law was. The law meant to these first century Jews one of three things or maybe all three of them. The law could have meant the moral law, the right standing with God. In all of the Old Testament, we would see, well, in particular, the Ten Commandments, plus all the other laws that God gave us. We would also see the law interpreted as civil law. In the Old Testament, you will find many sections on how to live in community and how to address health and dietary laws. And the third kind of law was called ceremonial law. This would be the temple procedures, which also included the sacrifices. Now, the scripture tells us that the law that the Old Testament was given to us to show us that, well, we actually fall short of God's perfect standard, that, that God is holy. And so one of the things that the law does, and there's lots of verses around, I'm just going to give you some highlights. In fact, you'll see on the screen a plethora of verses, including a whole book. I am going to be using a lot of these texts, and I know that, that some of you are writing these down, and sometimes I move too fast. So I tried to put down at least the verses I'm going to be using today. We're going to start off in Galatians chapter 3, starting in verses 19 through 22. This is Paul writing. He says this, For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all of its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self had been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
So I live in this earthly body by trusting the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for if keeping the law would make me right with God, then there would be no need for Christ to die. Secondly, the law was given to the Jews so they could actually connect with God. If you were to read through the whole book of Leviticus, it would take you some time. It's in the Old Testament. It's part of the books that that Moses wrote. But the whole book of Leviticus really focuses on the holiness of God and how you might connect with God because we're not holy. So there's these series of sacrifices and series of events that would happen so that the children of Israel could stay connected with a holy God. The law is also given to point the Messiah, to give us hope. The promised Messiah will come and will save God's people. This was a message that was all the way through the Older Testament. But one of the main passages is in Isaiah chapter 53, if you'd like to turn there, in Isaiah 53, I'm going to read just a few verses. This is the prophet writing, he says this, speaking of the Messiah. Verse 5, But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be made whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of all of us. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. But it was for the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. And because of his experience, my righteous servant, talking about the Messiah, will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all of their sins. But the scriptures go on, because this is an, is an amazing thing, that this suffering Messiah will come and pay our debt so that each one of us might be able to have access to God, have a relationship with God. In Isaiah chapter 9, starting at verse 6, this is a text we often use around Christmas. But this is describing the Messiah, the Son of God, Jesus For a child is born unto us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all of eternity. 
The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's army will make this happen. Later on in Isaiah chapter 61, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that the captives will be released and the prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come. The Messiah was going to come. And just imagine having a, well, kingdom like this. One where there's a righteous king. One that you would be able to bow down and obey with great joy. Someone that would break apart the shackles. Oh, they were looking forward to this Messiah. But if we hear Jesus' words in this text, we scratch our heads because we read that Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. But parts of the law, almost every one of us know, they're not in effect anymore. In other words, Jesus made the Old Testament sacrificial system obsolete. It used to be a time where goats and lambs would come and shed their blood and cover the sin, our offenses. But if you turn to Hebrews chapter 9, something amazing happened. Verse 13, Hebrews 9, 13. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. In other words, they could make them holy. But just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our conscience from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. You can go on in chapter 10, verse 1. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of good things to come. Not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year. But they were never able to provide a perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. That was the activities of a Jew before Jesus. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped, for the worshipers would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year, for it was not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. It could only cover it. That is why when Christ came into the world, he canceled the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. For the Lord's will for us was to be made holy by the sacrifice of the blood body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Once for all time. Jesus made this 
Old Testament sacrifice invalid because when he died on the cross and shed his blood, it was for us all time, for all of time. The other thing that was put aside was the Old Testament dietary laws. We won't go into a lot of detail here, but some of you uh, remember the story in Acts chapter 10, where Peter was asked to go to a Gentile's house, and he had this dream where he was going to or supposed to eat all of these unclean animals, animals that Jews were not to eat. Well, Jesus himself said in in Mark chapter 7, he was trying to help people understand that it's not about the dietary regulations. But in Mark chapter 7, he said this, can't you see that the food you put into your body cannot defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart, but it only passes through your stomach and then into the sewer. By saying this, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. You see, the scriptures tell us that the law, these Old Testament rules, were given to us so that they might be our tutor. In Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 23, the law was like a teacher. The law was like a guardian. The law was something to Help us maneuver until Jesus came to be the ultimate sacrifice and to pay for all of our sin. If I could put it this way, the rule of thumb would be this, is that Old Testament Testament principles are validated whenever Jesus or the New Testament reiterates or affirms them, such as, you loving God and loving your neighbor. Now, let me try to make sense of this. Jesus did not reject or replace the word of God. He came to fulfill, or better said, he came to accomplish it, to show us how to live it out. Jesus himself would live its laws and interpret its words as God originally intended. He would fulfill the prophecies and the promises he predicted. Jesus would keep and teach the commandments perfectly, but wouldn't live up to the Pharisees' man-made rules or false interpretations. You'll see that all the way through the Gospels, where the Pharisees or the religious would, well, attack Jesus for harvesting on a Sabbath. He was picking some grain, and they were eating some of the kernels. Jesus, all the way throughout his life, saw that the Pharisees and saw that the scribes put all kinds of rules and regulations, and then they made them and put them on the same plane as the Word of God. Jesus obeyed completely God's Word. All of man's rules and regulations, he hit his head against. 
Jesus is the one that the law and the prophets were pointing to. Jesus the Messiah fills or fulfills the ethical standards and the promises of the law and the prophets. The fulfillment Jesus had in mind here is not to just, well, be externally conformed. No, he was more worried about having a heart that was alive to God. After all, this is what the law was calling to. It wasn't about the regulations or the rules. It was given so that they might get to know the Almighty God. They might have a relationship with God. And actually, Moses, from the very beginning, focused on this. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, this is a prediction. This is actually right before Moses is going to die. And he says this, hey, I just want you to know, what's really important is that God wants your heart. In Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, the Lord your God will change your heart and the hearts of all your descendants so that you will love him with all of your heart and soul and so you may live or experience abundant life. Jesus in this text literally was saying two things, if we can narrow it down. The first thing he was saying is, I am the Messiah, I am the hope, I am the fulfillment of God's plan which shocked the people, and we already spent some time on this. But in Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 1, the Apostle Paul writes this. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. How cool is this? He sent his son, his own son, in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving us his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Paul just says this, and and he basically shouts it out. There's no condemnation for anyone who has come to faith in Jesus. What? Yeah. The law requires you to do all of these certain things, and you couldn't do it. It just showed you how far apart from God you were. But Jesus came. He died on the cross. He justified us. He paid our penalty for sin. Not only that, but he gives us the authority over the power of sin. We do not have to submit to that master anymore. 
See, the wages of sin is death always. It hurts yourself. It hurts your loved ones. It hurts others. But God says this, I've got such good news. The good news is Jesus came, died once for all, paid your debt so you could be a son or a daughter. But not only that, allows you to be able to live victoriously. Or you do not have to submit to those sinful desires anymore, which cause death in your life and hurt you and hurt others. I've given you power. I've given you authority. You don't have to do that anymore. What you can do is listen to the spirit that is living in you. Yeah. Then in Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 1, the apostle Paul, his, he just bleeds for the, for the Jews in this chapter. That's um, his relations. And he says this, Dear brothers and sisters, Romans 10, verse 1, the longing of my heart in my prayer to God is that the people of Israel be saved. Listen to what he says. I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it is misdirected zeal. Paul starts off saying, you, you want to know, I would really want all of my Jewish brothers and sisters to come to faith. They really are excited about God. They want to please God. They want to listen to God. They do. But their zeal is misdirected. They're trying to please God by what they do. They're, they're trying to make the outside look really good. Oh, then he goes on. For they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. They're refusing to accept God's way. They cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. That's what the first century Jews especially were doing. Oh, I've, I've got to obey everything. I've got to make sure I do the sacrifices. I, I, I have to make sure that, yes, yes, I, I, I need to do more. Isn't it funny that Paul says they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law? Then listen to this. For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. That's why he came. He said, I wasn't here to abolish the law. I am here to fulfill the law. And here's what he says. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. You talk about somebody blowing away a crowd. You know, all you guys are trying to please God by listening to the Pharisees and the scribes, and making sure you do everything all right. Hey, I want you to know, I have come to be able to change all of that. I am the Messiah. I am the life giver. I am the one who is going to shed my life 
so that you might have life. You can be made right with God by believing on me. So you can see in the very beginning, hey, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill the law. I am the Messiah. I am the King. And then secondly, which is just as important here, Jesus is elevating the Scriptures. He is is talking about how important the Bible is. At this moment, he's talking about the Old Testament. But he's talking about God's word that was God-breathed. If you recall, even back in John chapter 10, verse 35, Jesus' opinion of the scriptures was this. He said, and you know the scriptures cannot be altered. Everything in this is important. Every period, every dash, everything has been inspired. Everything is critical. Now, to be quite honest, that sometimes we don't consider this very critical. Some of us have three or four, maybe 10 or 12 of these these babies. Sometimes we just toss them aside. And I, I don't know, though, if you've ever, ever witnessed a rabbi unscrolling a roll of the scripture. How reverent he is. How he holds it up. How he makes sure that everything is read perfectly. How the congregants stand in honor. And I'm not saying that that's what we have to do. But I think sometimes we've gone the opposite. Well, you know what? I'm just going to pick and choose what I want to read out of here. Not everything is important. Come on! Do you see how thick that baby is? Yeah, I do. Some of us, well, we, we look at this a little bit casually. And Jesus was saying right here, I just want you to know every jot, every tittle, every little thing, nothing, nothing is going to leave. Everything is in here until the end of time. Just so you know, this is so critical, so important. He affirms the importance of the scriptures. Every detail will happen. What he didn't support, remember, or affirm is man's interpretations of the scriptures. Jesus is saying, don't ignore any of my word. In fact, if you do and you teach others to, you will be the least in the kingdom. This is a pretty powerful statement. If you ignore any part of the scripture and you teach others to do that, well, you know what? That's not that important, honey. We don't always have to tell the truth. I mean, if if we can't... Hey, wait a minute. The scripture is filled with truth and principles. And and God says, every one is important, not just the little ones. 
and that we are to listen and to, we're not to ignore. But in this same text, he says, if you know and obey and teach God's word, you will be great. And some of you may say, well, what does that mean? Well, what I'm looking at is Jesus, first of all, said that don't ignore any of God's word. So I'm just going to look at the opposite of ignore. So if you and I do the opposite of ignore, we all know what that means, right? If we do the opposite of ignore, that means if our Bible's there, we don't do this. That's called the opposite, right? No, we take it. We pay attention to it because it's precious. This word guides us. Do you believe that? How could someone not pick this up every day? How can someone not listen to this every day? How can we expect to be guided and directed without this every day? Well, Rick, I get busy. I, I know. But I know sometimes when I get busy, I get lost right? This book guides us. This book convicts us. This book tells us where we're going off the path. This tells us when we're making a bad decision. This book tells us when we're thinking wrong thoughts. This book tells... I got to have this book. This is God's word talking to me, telling me This book affirms, hey, Rick, you're going in the right direction. Hey, Rick, you're listening to me. Hey, Rick, this will be a blessing. Rick, Rick. Okay, God. It encourages me. How we all love to be encouraged. Don't don't you love your tires being pumped? Don't you love the attaboy? Don't you love the hugs? Don't you? There's times that's what God's word does for us. It does. It does all of these things. And just so you know, I think Jesus is talking much more than just pastors and teachers here. Those, okay, get the word of God, make sure that you teach it, that's important. Do you realize the impact that every parent has in their household? Do you realize the impact that every one of us have in our workplaces? Do you realize the impact that every one of us have in our neighborhoods? Do you realize the impact every one of you have walking through Menards? Do you? Actually, wherever you go, we are salt and light, the message of last week. But Jesus says this is that it's really, really, really important not to ignore this, but to open this up, to listen to this, and to teach it. Teach it. What you're learning, what God's convicting you about. What are ways that you might be able to share with others God's transforming truth? You know, it's cool. We haven't got there yet, but at the very end of this message, in chapter 7, all right, the end of chapter 7, Jesus is going to end his whole message talking about how important it is, 
how important God's word is and how important it is to listen to it. Yeah. You see, Jesus was starting a revolution. He was changing a culture of performance to one of a relationship. It was all about walking with the king, not because you have to, but because you get to. Do you hear the difference there? You know, most of our three or four-year-olds obey us because they have to, right? I, I don't know what your method is. Mine worked. They need to listen. But you know when they're 18 or they're 28, they don't need to listen anymore, do they? And I think that's how it is with God, is that as we start off, there's some things we need to learn about God and who God is, and we spend time with God, and we fall more in love with God and more in love with God, and we can't live without this, and we want to obey God, not because we have to, but because we get to, and we know how life is so much more amazing. You see, we start to gain the righteousness of Jesus because we walk with him. We don't gain the Pharisee's righteousness, which is really shiny on the outside and looking really good so people can applaud us. You see, as we walk with God, people don't applaud us, they applaud God. That's the difference. Man, I thank God you're here. Man, you're a blessing. You know, this would lead his disciples to a righteousness surpassing that of the religious leaders. And their deeds would be like shining lights that would cause people to glorify their heavenly Father. You see, Jesus wants us to have a relationship with his Father and obey his precious word. Would you bow your head just for a moment as I close? The question this morning is, are you about performance or are you about a relationship? Do you do things in order to look good or to please people? Or do you do things because you love the Lord and walking with him is such a privilege? Do you read the Bible because you're supposed to have a devotion? Or do you open up the Word and let it teach you about God and life and what is healthy and not? I guess my question is this. How many times must you hear this message? And I know we all have heard it a lot, haven't we? before we respond. But this Jesus talking to us today. May you talk to him now. Father, I thank you. I thank you for satisfying all the requirements of the law so that I could have a relationship with you.
Thank you for your word, which gives me hope and life and strength. You're merciful and you're gracious, and your mercies are new each morning. Father, I pray that we learn who you are so we can trust and obey and enjoy the life you have for each one of us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.